two, three. No, we weren't. That would have been good if we were. Uh, all right. Well, Can you just nice. talk to you on that? Is my, right. is my audio good? It's, I'm actually using a new mic for the first time. Yeah, your, your audio is great. Your audio is great. Sure. Thanks for doing this. Come, Holy Spirit. This is, just, this is just insane in the membrane. But you know what? We're here. Dr. Peter Howard, thanks for being here. Uh, you, welcome back as a guest on Ahoy Mess because you were here for – uh, what I broke into two different episodes, two different 30-minute episodes, I believe, uh, on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We talked about her in general, and then we talked about her uh, specifically uh, under the title of Our Lady of Fatima. And I know for a fact that I have heard uh, many different things about those episodes that really touched people. Uh, so it was effective. Uh, you were not a waste of a guest. Uh, you were not a waste. You, you were very, it was actually very powerful. And so thanks for being back here. Uh, this was, I just got out of the hospital like three nights ago for heart stuff. And I'm like going crazy right now. Like the, the Wi-Fi was off, the ethernet was off, everything. We were supposed to do this interview for those of you who are, who are tuning in. We were supposed to do this interview two and a half hours ago. And Dr. Howard is a champion. He literally stopped feeding his little kids to come on my show. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but listen, welcome back. I know we don't have much time, but we're going to be talking about Fulton Sheen and whatever else God wants, the Holy Spirit wants us to talk about. But just welcome back. Well, thanks, Father. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's real time. It's real life. And uh, you had the guts to say, hey, let's just do it live. And I thought that was actually a good idea. I mean, what's it? You know, it's not going to really matter because you get the recording and then you do it later on. I mean, this is not the kind that you really go in and do editing, you know, unless yeah. I have to stop you from going off on some kind of like verbal. Which I, I normally do. I normally <laughs> do that. I usually, my guess is a few seconds delay and had the little bleep noise there or something. And then, then I can well, hear your confession, but I can't absolve you. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm so much of a holy mess. Okay. I'm not even kidding right now. I'm so much of a holy mess. I'm wearing my shirt all the way up here because I can't even find my clergy collars. I can't find them. And I don't right, have we to. Got, we got a breaking scandal right now, Father. This is live scandal. Yeah. And there's a, there's yeah. a lot of to go around. So it's listen, my life, my rooms, my car, everything. It's an unholy mess. Disgusting. Anyway, but I'm working on it. Uh, God's working on it. One of my heroes, um, you seem to be an expert in. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Dr. Peter Howard, uh, he's hitting the airways, or should I say the, the metaverse, uh, a lot lately with his great work with, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the Fulton Sheen Institute? Yeah, there's two entities, you can say. The Fulton Sheen Institute, which has existed for a few years now. Um, but then last spring, we launched the Fulton Sheen Movement. And that was uh, directly in response to the fact of um, just getting sick and tired of uh, his, his cause being unjustly delayed when there's nothing holding it up and just you know putting some... Um, you know, fire to the feet of, of those who uh, really can make it happen. And, and if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. 
It's, there's just no, there's no urgency whatsoever to literally set a mass date and he's declared blessed. Most, like I'd say 98% of Catholics, if not more, have no idea really what's going on with this case when that's all that has to be done. So we got sick of that and we said, look, we're just going to start drawing the world to Sheen in a different way uh, with the movement. And so we started uh, having um, events. We had a big event over the summertime since uh, I was last on in near Chicago. Um, if you know Father Thomas Loya, he's a Byzantine priest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's, yeah, he's awesome. He is a huge Sheen, Sheen I want to say fan. Um, he, the Sheen cause and all of that is deeply personal to him. And uh, we had an event out there at his uh, Byzantine parish, packed from all around that region. Even the co-owner of the Chicago Bears came down and gave like a seven-minute talk. He signed our petition that we have online right now. Stop bears. Um, I know. Well, I'm an Eagles fan, so I just, I, you know, I had to say something about the Eagles while I was there, so he might not ever come back. Um, sure, but sure. Eagles are, what, 10-2 and two in Chicago, you know. Oh, bears. They got, they got uh, to pray to Sheen more. <laughs> but, why, all right, but, but, but here's the all right. So for those of you who may not know, I mean, maybe this just isn't the episode to get into all of who Fulton Sheen is. I mean, there's so many things about him, so many things about him. Yeah. Archbishop Fulton Sheen, is he technically a venerable right now? Or Yeah, yeah he's venerable. And you could, I, I would almost make the argument that he's technically a um, blessed because they approved his miracle and Pope Francis issued a, a decree. All right, so then the miracle, which means he is blessed. They just now need to schedule the mass. And it's just a formula in the beginning of the mass. They go a little bit through his life and then they say, hey, now with the confirmation of the of the intercessory prayers of, of Sheen and this miracle having taken place, we now call him blessed. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, what are they going to do at this point? And that's what I'm saying is like, what are you going to do? Are you actually saying there's something that could change any of this? And when you put, when you press that question to them, they say, uh, no, there isn't. So then what is it? And they'll come out. We need she now more than ever. Yeah. So then what the is it? What's line, the deal? Yeah, and the next line is, but out of an abundance of caution, we want to wait for the attorney general report of New York to come out when they talk about all the diocese. And we know Sheen is clean. They use, you know, these little phrases that we've been using for years. And but like so, Doctor Howard, is that what's holding it back? Like, what's that? Is that what's holding it back? Is there some? I honestly, There's, I really it's, the, it's there are U.S. U.S. bishops that are holding it back. That's it. Rome is completely like go for it. Like we're just waiting. You guys can do it. It's our own bishops, and now it's the diocese of Peoria who's gotten involved um, by really playing with them. You know, uh, I always tell people go, go and read the or go watch the interview with Raymond Arroyo a few months ago, where he, he interviewed the head of the Fashin Foundation and and he laid out an amazing case. He's like, look, yeah, there's absolutely nothing, nothing on this earth is going to change what we already know about Sheen and the church's uh, position that he's blessed and re and ready to be beatified. So Raymond Arroyo is like, so they're like, what's the deal? Well, we want to just make sure and make everybody really. We want to make everybody happy. Everybody means a few bishops who really don't care anyway about it. Um, they're the ones who deliberately blocked it because they don't didn't want it to happen. 
Um, and then he's like, well, we also want the unanimous support of the bishops. I mean, when he added that at the very end of this interview, I just went like crazy. I don't know what people were watching, but I got calls and say, hey, we want to come on a radio station and talk about the wonderful news we just heard. I'm like, OK, I didn't say anything, but I'm like, I'm about to burst bubbles because there was nothing wonderful about that. There's and no who, plan whatsoever to get to set this mass again. None. And who said that? Who was the person that said that on Raymond Arroyo? That was uh, Monsignor Jason Gray. He's the president of the Archbishop Fulton Sheen Foundation. I mean, it's great, great priests. I mean, these guys did so much. They did all the hard work. And they're involved. And then in they're the just community. letting themselves be, uh, I'll say, yeah. manhandled. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, you know, it's like, they're, they're allowing themselves to play this game. And well, we why do you are think? set up. Like Sheen said, he says, who's going to save the church? It's not us bishops and priests. It's you, the people. And you have to, it's your responsibility to make sure that your bishops act like bishops and your priests act like priests. And he's like, okay, this is it. That was like the quote that really inspired this movement. Who would have known that it's applying to his own cause for canonization? <laughs> All right, so... If, with with the time that we have, why do you feel so strongly that Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen, should be a saint? Why should he beatified? Be beatified, which is, for those that don't know, beatification is the step prior, right prior to becoming a canonized saint. Then they then they become a blessed, so he'd be blessed Fulton Sheen, and then when they're canonized a saint, they would be he would be Saint Fulton Sheen or Saint you know Sheen of Peoria or something like that. But all right. So look, for those that don't know, we may, may just not have the whole time to get into the whole history, but Archbishop Fulton Sheen was, and these are my words, nobody else's words. Dr. Howard could speak much great about him, but just a powerhouse of an apostle, a prophet, a tele, tele evangelist, just he, he, he was amazing. You know what? With the, I could do this on, on like a separate intro. Why don't you talk about him? Why do you think who is he and why do you think that he deserves to be a saint and this whole thing of holding back his, his beatification is absolute nonsense? Well, the church has already come to the conclusion that he is, you can say, a saint. That he is a saint in heaven. Um, they know that his life exhibited heroic virtue, which is the one thing that's necessary to, be, uh, to go along the path of canonization. That's why he's venerable. The hardest stage is actually done. It's being declared venerable. He's worthy to be venerated. Why? Because he's a man whose life from beginning to end encapsulated heroic virtue. And um, the miracle that is associated with him now is simply the confirmation that he's actively interceding from heaven. It's like the further stamp. The venerable would say, like, we've got every reason to believe he's in heaven. The 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 miracle that's required says he is because he can't obtain that unless he's there. Um, so, yes, he he's not a saint because he was brilliant. I mean, intelligence is never enough to be a saint. I mean, otherwise, Lucifer wouldn't have fallen from heaven. Uh, he was the brightest of them all as, a, as a, one of the cherubim, the highest, the second highest choir of angels who had the particular gift of knowledge, the knowledge of God. So the, the more intelligent you are, the more temptations you have toward pride. So you could already see, though, with a man who was like a modern-day St. Thomas Aquinas, and more, because Sheen encapsulated, he knew everything Thomas taught. 
He used that as the premises to address all the errors of the world, but he studied everything that was in the world. He studied modern philosophy. This, the, 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 the caliber of his intellect was extraordinary, but because he gave it totally to the service of saving souls, that's really what made him, that was, that was the, his path to sanctity. He had a relentless passion to save souls. Like, as he said, unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. And there will never be world peace unless you first have soul peace. And so that was everything that he learned was for the sake of being able to communicate and evangelize with any soul he met. Um, and so we know the numbers. I mean, you know, he met, he, he uh, reached 30 million people a week during his primetime days in television. Most of his audience was non-Catholic. And uh, that's 60% of his audience was non-Catholic. And of that demographic, most of those were Jewish. Really? Yeah. What was so, that? Appeal? Yeah, well, I mean, just think of, I don't know. I mean, just think of the, well, the, the, the numbers of the country. I mean, Catholics are still a minority. Yeah. Um, they always have been. And we're like, what are we, 65 to 70 million of 350 million or three, I don't know, something like that. So, um, you know, and he, and he reached all around the world. But as far as his holiness, I really believe it comes down to two major factors. And it's really, it's the two things that you'll find in the, the dossier of every single saint, especially the modern saints. They had a passionate love for our blessed mother and therefore had a great love for the church. Because Sheen said that the relationship between Mary and the church is so united that when there's a decline in love for our blessed mother. There's a decline in love for the church. And the, the opposite is true. Um, and then also is a promise that he made the day of his ordination. This is the 1919. He made a promise that he would, he made two promises. One, he'd offer every mass on Saturday to our blessed mother in her honor for the protection of his priesthood. The other one was, um, he offered a daily holy hour before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and never broke that promise. He died in 1979, so 60 hours or 60 years, started doing the math, you know, 365 days. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of time. When you spend that much time before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament for love of the Lord and for the love of souls, not just to offer your petitions up for 60 minutes, you end up with a soul that is literally on fire for the Lord and so close to him. Just like if you were to, in a natural level, would be if you, um, you know, put yourself in a radiation chamber day after day, you know, an hour a day, you'd have, you'd have the opposite. You'd have obvious effects on you. Yeah. That yeah. They would destroy you, but, you know, you don't necessarily feed them. You don't see them. So, with That's Sheen, true. I personally believe that that is the, um, the 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 main things that that made him. Even what he said, that was the source of his power. That was the source of his ability to rules. He said, "Look, there's a lot of people out there who are preaching, and many are more talented, say, than he is, or that he was. Um, I mean, you can are pretty arguable on that one, but." Um, but he says, I have more power. And he was very bold about that. 
And he says, because I spend an hour and I train my eyes, I train my eyes of faith um, to see our Lord, that he's really there. He says, once I can do that and see our Lord, you know, behind the veil of the tabernacle and in the Eucharist, he says, then, then I can see truly that his presence in every person that I meet. Very similar to what St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, what she and her sisters always did. They had an hour that began their day so that they were prepared to go out and be with the poorest of the poor. Um, and Sheen had a great love for Mother Teresa and, and the poor. I mean, he was he traveled around as he was the head of the missions. Um, that's that's what's fascinating to me is that I mean, he the guy he was so busy, he traveled. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he, you know, he took retreats, vacation, whatever, like to me, like just in my own life, like I, I tried to emulate him and I have failed like big time. Okay. Like, let's just be real. Like I have tried to emulate, first of all, my big fat ego at one point in my priesthood thought I was going to be the next him. Okay. Like when I was newly ordained, when I was ordained almost like two years, I'm like, well, you know, people were complimenting me on my homilies or whatever. And I'm like, am I going to be like the next Fulton Sheen? You know, because I had like a history in stand up comedy and, you know, in the entertainment business a little bit. I mean, nobody knows who I am and nobody knew who I am, but that like kind of never left me. And then I found out like, wait, there was this priest, this bishop that had a, like a television show that got better ratings than Merton, uh, Milton Burrow. Like, are you kidding me? You know? So, but what I what I came to find out, and believe me, like I am nothing like the guy. <laughs> Maybe some things, I don't know. I found out the hard way. God definitely humiliated me. But what I've come to find out is that he didn't seem, I mean, I don't know. You know more about him than I am, but like, how like look there there was a, you just said two powerful things about you know where he got his power from you know um the devotion to the blessed mother mass to her every single saturday um and a holy hour every single day so those are two huge things but there's a lot of holy priests there's a lot of holy bishops there has been holy popes but there was only one fulton sheen ever and i don't even know if you're going to know the answer to this but like you know how did he get to the point where he was probably the most the most famous priest bishop in the entire world because of his television show and within that how was he able to to stay so humble in the sense that he he kept it about mission he kept it about the church he you know it didn't seem yeah he had a lot of persecutions from inside and outside of the church and i'd like to get it you know and it's still happening to him but my just my excitement is like how did he do what he did how was he able to stay so committed? How was he able to do a holy hour every single day when he was like this humongous celebrity where it could have gone to his head? There could have been great scandal. We could have found that, but but it didn't. His cause is up for sainthood. So me and just in my own life, I'm like, well, how did he do what he did? So that's my 20,000 questions to you in five seconds. Go. Live. Well, think of it this way. How do we order our own days? We, you know, I always say to myself and then of course to others, but it's show me what your day looks like and I'll tell you what you value. Well, for Sheen, his entire day revolved around getting that holy hour in. Mass he had to get in as a priest. You know, he celebrated mass, but the holy hour was completely, it was, he wasn't bound by sin or by anything. That was a commitment, a promise that he made. 
it's just like I think of things that matter to me the most where like if I don't have it, it just can almost feel like my day was ruined or lost. And sometimes they're cheesy, like, you know, not cheesy, but they're lower things like, you know, I'm a very clean person. So I like to get my shower or two in a day. And there's times where I'm like, you know what? I, I made sure I got that in before I went to bed, before like, let's say something spiritual I wanted to do, but I didn't do, but I didn't feel as bad about it. For Sheen, everything revolved around that holy hour. And there was many, many reasons why he made it. Um, and so it, it comes down to that. Outside of that, I mean, his days, they, they began early. They ended really, they, they, yeah, they ended late, just like John Paul II. Almost the same exact kind of a schedule. They both began their day. First thing they do is they took an hour. Then they had mass. And then they went on. Sheen, he reserved a couple hours a day where he would meet people at his place and he talked to them. That's where a lot of big con, you know, conversion conversations would take place. Um, but he also had a great love for the poor, great love for the poor and being the director, the national director for the prop, the society for the propagation of the faith, which is really running the missions. He, he controlled probably the purse of 75% of the world's money that went to the missions came through him. Um, and he traveled the world, uh, especially Africa and Asia, um, uh, to meet the poor. He was always connected to that. And I think that that's really important when God blesses you, is that you need to have that attachment to those in need. Otherwise, it's very easy to have your ego infinitely inflated. Um, and he said that that was, you know, in his own autobiography, he said that was a big, his biggest challenge was the fact that he was always in these circles of affluence and he, he enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know if I was like, you know, don't beat yourself up over that, but he knows what he meant too. And he was like, yeah, there was times where he definitely would always, would prefer that mm. versus, you know, being with the poor. Um, now maybe I'm reading it a little into that, but he, he admitted that he said that was one of his biggest weaknesses was the temptations toward that kind of lifestyle that he knew he had at his fingertips. But he also gave every single penny that he made from his television show, every single penny went to the poor in the missions. And he wow. made over 100, in today's money, it'd be about $100 million. So, and I heard him, he actually talked about that. I listened to an audio clip of him where he actually addressed it. Somebody got under his skin and challenged him. Well, look, you know, Bishop Shane, you've... Um, you make all this money and this and this. And he's saying, he's like, look, I'm telling you right now where it's all gone. And then I'm not saying it again. But then he went out and said, every penny went to the missions. So many people who knew him and even the FBI had their own file on him. So they followed him really, really closely. They probably had some of the greatest insights into the kind of man he was. <clears throat> because they Why see the him. On him. Well, one, he was a, just a famous person and the FBI had files on everybody. There was also, you know, there was the time of the communist Red Scare and all those things. And, and yeah. Sheen was also the number one. He was the number one speaker and proponent against yeah. uh, communism. So the KGB was also after him. So he got to know Hoover. And then <clears throat> he kind of had like maybe a subtle detail watching his back. Because one time they caught a man who was an agent who wanted to go on tour with Sheen. And Sheen said there's something off about him. Just go check him out. And they did. He's like, yeah, he's a KGB agent. <laughs> so 
Um, but they, being so close to him, they would see him with his expensive coats, leaving like one place of his office, going for another place. And by the time he comes back, he doesn't have it. He's given it to somebody, mm. like literally. So, you know, he he was uh, he's such an example of 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 a, of a number of things. One is if God blesses you with those kinds of abilities and He makes you famous, you don't run away from something like that. You embrace it as that's God's will for you. But how do you anchor yourself and how do you keep your soul um, rooted where, you know, in humility? You have to do, you have to literally have a heart that's for others. And there's other things too. I mean, he was, he made the hour because he said, it's the one thing that represents what he called his priest victimhood. He said, it's one of the things that priests of the modern times have completely forgotten, was forgotten after the Second Vatican Council was that when you are a priest, you are a priest victim. Jesus was the, a new kind of priest. And the sign of his victimhood was to make this hour because it was always hard for him, you know, I mean, in a certain respect. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, there's so many things that show his extraordinary virtue, his heroic virtue throughout his life um, that now we're being asked to look at in more ways than one, not just because of his cause, for canonization, but here we are talking. Maybe this is a good segue to um, we're on the feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, which wasn't normalized in the church till a few hundred years ago. Before then, it was always celebrated on December 9th. That was the original feast day of the Immaculate Conception. It goes all the way back to the third, yeah, it goes all the way back to the third and fourth century. Well, December 9th. It's a very significant day for a lot of other reasons. The biggest of them being, well, two. One, it's the day that Sheen died, which is a big day. Um, you know, God or obviously choreographs everything. Like Sheen says, God doesn't do anything in history without the greatest finesse of detail so that we pause and wonder the why, the what, the when. What does this all have to do? Like Fatima 1917, you know, the year of the Bolshevik Revolution, 400th anniversary of of the Protestant Reformation, Luther. It's the, it was the 200th anniversary of the founding of modern day Freemasonry. I mean, all these things converged in 1917 and yet God sends Mary to, to appear there. And at yeah. that time, so, but December 9th was what, what happened on December 9th? That was so significant almost 500 years ago. I have no idea. I'll give you a hint in a few more days, everybody, in North America, especially the Mexicans, will be celebrating it. Oh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Did that originally happen on December 9th? She first appeared on December 9th. Interesting. And not only that, the interesting part just begins because December 9th at that time was still in Spain because Mexico was called the New Spain. So in Spain, the Mass of the Immaculate Conception, the feast was still celebrated on the, on the 9th. And so that was one of the reasons why Juan Diego was going into, uh, he lived a few miles away, going um, into what is now modern-day Mexico City and um, for Mass and then to receive instruction, you know, in the faith afterward. That was the day that was chosen, December 9th, 1531. And so she appeared on her own feast day. Exactly. And... I mean, I gosh, this, this is where the next hour or two really should be focusing on this. We'll, fo I mean, well, we won't focus much on it tomorrow night, but in a different thing. But um, December 9th 
is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. When you look at the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, it is very similar to how our Blessed Mother looked in Lourdes and when she announced herself as the Immaculate Conception. And, uh, you know, because she, as St. Bernadette described it, she, she yeah. uh, inclined her head, put her hands together, and then with almost a tremble said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, wow. I was just there with your brother. I was yeah, just that's right. That's right. So you have, um, so there's this connection there. There's also the, what um, many historians believe uh, that when our, our lady spoke to um, Juan Diego's uncle, Bernardino, uh, who was healed miraculously by her during these four days, revealed her name and would have spoken to him in the Aztec language. Because in the beginning, she did speak in the Aztec language as the, the, the most um, uh, authoritative accounts describe. And the name that sounds just like Guadalupe would have been basically what she would have used for herself. And the word is Cuatrasupe. And that word in Aztec means the one who crushes the serpent. Well, we all hopefully by now have gone to mass today on a holy day of obligation. That's the first reading, Genesis 3.15. But she appears in the Tilma on the, in the miraculous image as the woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet. She's the woman of Revelation 12. So we see Genesis 3 and Revelation 12 come together in this miraculous image and emphasized by the fact that she first, God, God sent her to establish the spiritual beachhead that would then bring Christianity to all the Americas on the Feast of Immaculate Conception. So 1531, December 9th, 1531, just um, we just missed it, or was it yesterday? Or I don't know when it is, but like the bombing of Harbor, you know, December, December 7th, that? December 7th, December, yesterday, December 7th, a, a day that will live in infamy. Well, you have December 9th, 1531, was the spiritual Normandy of all the Americas. Ten years before, Cortez conquered the Aztecs militarily, physically. After the most horrendous fighting you could possibly imagine, if you know anything about the Aztec culture. And then the next thing was they were writing back to Spain saying they have some converts, they made some progress, but they're like, this is like the most difficult culture now to evangelize. One, they didn't know anything other than death for almost like all of their lives for generations because, well, I'm going to get into that story, but the, the high priest thing of, um, of the Aztecs. He lived to be like in his like 96. So this guy was like slaughtering people decade after decade. These kids didn't know any other form of religion than that. They also had, I forget the number. I was just reading a bunch of this one. I was in Mexico City last month for the first time and digesting the history. And it was, there's, I forget. Um, I have to look it up. I think I have the book here, but it's like 80 different dialects, you know, of the language. How do you do that? So it's like a Pentecost was needed. How do, you, how do you actually say something where everybody can understand it? And God's answer to that was, here it is, this image of this woman. And everything about this image is miraculous. From a thing that they never would have been able to see 500 years ago 
to now with modern day forensics and things, they can they can see, you know, the people that, that were in the, the eye of our blessed mother that looked like Juan Diego, the bishop and the assistant. Um, I mean, just thing after thing. And when the Aztecs saw this, immediately they saw heaven, really, the writing was all not on the wall, but on the Toma. And that's all they needed. They knew it pointed to who this woman was. There was somebody greater than her. She's the, you know, not the son, but she's clothed with the son. She was pregnant. She had the pregnancy um, indicator, you can see on, see the flowers. Um, as Christopher West talks about, there's a stance that the way she's standing, it looks like she's doing some kind of victory dance. <laughs> so they, like, we just see a miraculous image and hardly understand it. They looked at that and everything was there. And no matter what dialect you, you spoke, they all came and they came to the faith. Um, so she is, you know, she's the Trojan horse for the evangelization. And um, and that began the spiritual conquest of the Americas, all the Americas, because Mexico City is the, literally the geographic center of all the Americas is right there. And here we are 500 years later, and we've basically gone full circle. You know, was it two months ago? Mexico voted to legalize abortion up till birth. The culture of death is back in a bigger way than even then. The much Then it was more graphic because it was outside the womb. But that slaughter now has come back. And that's why St. John Paul II, you can see why he called not for a re-evangelization, but a new evangelization. He's like, we got to start. Like, Where do you start? Especially because Christianity's come and now it's out. How do you evangelize that? You need a new power. You need, a, you need to be able to reach a new paganism. And this is why I firmly believe, I mean, obviously I've prayed about this and meditated upon it for years now. When, I, when, when Sheen died on the 9th, I got a little, I don't say upset, but he had a prophetic saying. I, I play it all the time when I give talks where he says, I pray every single day of my life that I will drop dead before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament and on a feast day of Our Lady. And he says, I don't know if the Lord's going to give me that, that, that favor. He says, but I do know that when I do see him, he will be very embarrassed if he didn't. So, <laughs> um, but so when I, he died, I'm like, oh, yeah, he died on the 9th. And I was like, oh, man, he was just one short. You know, like, and I'm like rationalizing all of these things. Like, well, at least he got the whole feast day in and blah, blah, blah. But then I began to think about it when my, Mariolo my Mariology lens is going like, okay, with Sheen, God doesn't do anything without the greatest finesse of detail. And then all of a sudden it was, oh my gosh, the original Immaculate Conception date is actually the ninth. Our Lady appears to evangelize the Americas on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of that time on the ninth. And now Sheen, God chose that day and Rome chose that day for his feast day, which then throws Sheen into the mix of what we meditate on the ninth, which was the original day in the east of the Immaculate Conception. The eighth is now in the west. Well, Fulton Sheen was also by ritual. He was a priest of the Byzantine rite. He was a priest of the, of the Latin rite. Sheen united east. He united west. He reached people all over the world. Unlike anybody else, like a modern-day St. Francis Xavier, you know, whose feast we just celebrated. And here he is. You know, he reached millions of people when he was alive. Just imagine now if you can, you can say, replicate the what made Sheen a saint 
and not just that, <clears throat> but this guy, like like we've used St. Thomas Aquinas for 800 years now to literally redefine, like not redefine, but to define Western civilization, our philosophical thought. I mean, the advances that we've had in philosophy. I mean, this guy was just unbelievable. Well, Sheen was, St. Thomas was a piece of Sheen. Like the whole Thomas was a piece of Sheen. And then really? he brings us all these other things. You know, so it's like, what does he have to give us? And yet, well, you can't maybe see a little bit behind me. This is our new little house. You can't see. There's the, by the way, Sheen always has Sheen always has my six. That's his miter. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> I want to have a I didn't want to deviate into that, but oh uh, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> this is why this is so important because these things are they converged for a reason. And the fact that this, you know, this pausing of his kind of his beatification, this isn't like, oh, well. When everything's just right, it's going to happen. She was the first to say, we need a voice that's right when the world is wrong. And when the church is off, it's our job, especially as the laity, to make sure that the church does what the church is supposed to do. You know, we're told every single Sunday what we're supposed to do. <laughs> well, you know, give us our saints. Why? Not just because we want to have a trophy on the wall. It's because what he's gonna, when a spotlight goes on our saints, Billions of people find out who he is. Then they start reading his books. Then they start being formed by him. I don't know if anybody who's ever read Fulton Sheen didn't say, oh my gosh, this guy's is ridiculous. This guy's stupid. Or he's, you know, what is what planet is he on? They're like, who is this guy alive? It's like, is he still a bishop somewhere? Like, we need this guy. Where is he? I want him for a retreat. No, he died in 1979. Like, so it goes on. He, he lives on through the movement. He it move, um, He lives on in in... You know, all these things that are becoming dedicated to him. Is this why you started yours? Like, why are you so passionate about him? Why are you so devoted for all these reasons that you just said? Absolutely. Nobody's had an impact on me on a whole scale, you can say, um, than Fulton Sheen. You know, my heroes are Sheen, St. Maximilian Colby, St. John Paul II. It's definitely St. Louis de Montfort, um, you know, St. Francis Xavier, but like, Sheen came later in my life after I was already studying. I, um, you know, I, I yeah, he, he just kind of came out of nowhere when I took a retreat. And as soon as I started listening to him, I, I realized I found the man who's going to, who's going to have a big person impact on my life because everything he's, he said, I couldn't, I, I couldn't disagree with, but he says it, in such a way that you have to respond to it. Like your knowledge is, is a responsibility. And so, um, and I firmly believe in what he says. And he says, imagine what the contribution to the peace of the world. And he was just talking about priests. You know, if the, at his time, it was like 45,000 priests in the U.S. all made a daily holy hour, what that would do for the peace of the world. Because hour in scripture, especially in St. John's gospel, refers to evil. And you make that hour in reparation for all the evil that's going on in the world. So you're not just walking in there and just like, hey, Jesus, how's it going? And, you know, yeah, you're there. I'm here. It's You're actually walking into a spiritual battle because the, the Eucharist comes from the Mass. What's going on in the Mass is the cosmic battle that we read in Revelation between heaven and earth. And it's all taking place in the liturgical sense. So the priest is, so when he says consecration, like Fulton, what these are Fulton Sheen's words. He says, the priest of consecration reaches back in time and gets the Jesus on the cross 
and he transplants it in real time on the altar for that reality that's taking place in 33 AD is now taking place here. And you're like, whoa. And then that gets reserved in the tabernacle. So when we go to the tabernacle, there's a drama that's going on. And at the same time, there's, you know, Jesus calls us in where we are, where we uh, need him most. You know, sometimes a lot of times it's resting with him, resting on his, you know, on his chest, like St. John or, um, but other times it's, you know, he reveals tough things to us. Um, you get inspired for what God may be asking you to do. You get the courage to do it. So Sheen is a man who, he was a man in the arena. If you want to use, I, I love that, you know, from Teddy Roosevelt. Look that up if you've never heard it. It's the, his powerful poem, The Man in the Arena. I don't know if it's a poem, but he wrote it. Really, really powerful. And, uh, you know, the saints of today, they're all in the arena. And I believe heaven is saying, this world is there's no way this world's going to just turn back. There's no political solution to any of this, no matter what anybody says. Um, and we, how do you reach people when they're not even rational anymore? Mm. And Sheen had an answer for that. He said it's going to be through what he called the anthropological approach. You're going to reach men where they're wounded and where they're disordered inside. Basically, exactly what St. John Paul II did as soon as he became Pope. Sheen died in 1979. Like the next year, John Paul's already been Pope for about a year now. Yeah, October, He starts the theology of the body. I mean, like, you, if you can't make these connections, if, I'm not saying you personally, but it's like, like, then you're missing something. The continuity of like, you know, Baptist with Fulton Sheen, then... God's saying, okay, you've done your job, and I got somebody now to take this to the global stage, <laughs> who's everything that you are, you know, but now it's going to reach everybody um, even more. Here Didn't he is. John Paul II, when he came to New York City, specifically asked to see Fulton Sheen and embraced him. He did. That's a great point, Father, because uh, I know someone was there. He's going to be at our roundtable tomorrow night, Terry Barber. And he gives a story. I never heard it, and I don't know if I would have believed it unless there was somebody there. But uh, he said, yeah, John Paul II came to St. Patrick. There's a powerful picture of them embracing. Yes. I've only seen that, but I don't know the story. Yeah. Well, um, we could promote you around. <clears throat> yeah. The, the, uh, leading up to that moment was um, uh, John Paul goes in and he says, you know, basically, like, where's Sheen? <laughs> and they're like, Oh, he's actually, he's like down in the crypt area. And I think he's praying or something like that. He's like, well, go get him. So, yeah. yeah. Go get him. Because like at this time, he was First not. First of all, why wouldn't she, you got to let me try to be humorous here and there. Why wouldn't she have just been there waiting for the Pope? I think he knew him. He had to get his holy hour in? Well, I think he knew that what mattered most for this man that he knew was coming I mean, he prophesied JP too would be the, the greatest Pope that we've ever had. Really? And uh, if not the, then um, he said, among, like, will be one of the greatest or the greatest. It's in his autobiography. He talks about this. Um, I believe he did what the, the best thing he could have done, and that was to pray, to offer. I mean, for, for men who were and priests and bishops who were so similar, 
almost as if he knew the life that John Paul or what his pontificate would be. He just offered himself in solidarity, praying for him. And it's okay. Just like Jesus says, you know, when you go to the table, sit at the least spot, you could always get called up. And believe me, that was like a personification to that whole thing was like, yeah, the vicar of Christ shows up and says, where is he? I want him right here. And then there's that embrace. And that's when he whispers to Sheen, he says, you, you are, you have written and spoken well of the Lord Jesus. You are a loyal son of the church. Two months later, Fulton Sheen dies. On December 9th. Wow. So I think it's because right now he's the icon we all need to be looking at. How do we evangelize this world? And the and the kind of Catholics that we need today are those like Sheen, those who come to Christ every day, spend that hour in prayer, meditation, contemplation, and then go out into the world. And um, he was a man who loved the Pope. I think he's his insights now. I've always wondered, like, what would he be thinking right now? You know, with all that's going on, the attacks of the Pope and even things that are happening out of Rome. And um, I know he would always defend the truth. What would he be saying? That I do not believe he would ever be personally attacking the Pope. Mm. He would be, he would be defending the vicar of Christ as the vicar of Christ. And, and, defending the um the church against errors no matter who they're coming from rather than attacking yeah the vicar of christ and and i, and I think um i i got i have a big problem with those who who do that and and they and you, and it's so it's so obvious when they start referring to you know bergoglio it's like you know, they won't use the word Pope. They won't use anything like that. It's yeah. like, well, you know, Bergoglio. And it's like, imagine the apostles. I always say this. If you really want to know how to how to look at this and pray and meditate on this, how did Jesus handle the first massive, I mean, un, I don't say unprecedented. It was unprecedented then. But like, how did he handle the first massive scandal of the first pope like right after peter is selected by christ he says well you you know you can't go to the cross it's our job to make sure you don't go there and jesus so in other words translate that today that would be like total heresy going against salvation you know all these kind of and and jesus turns and says well look get behind me satan you're thinking as men think, not as God thinks. Right there is the paradigm of all the controversies that we have. If Pope Francis is making a mistake, it's in light of, it's it's a mistake in the way that men think. He's not thinking as God thinks. But it's his job as the church to help steer that back. I mean, he actually came out like in his first, I don't know, a few months of being Pope saying, look, criticize me in the sense of like, if I'm really wrong, tell me. But we have to know the right spirit to do that. Jesus didn't sit there and be like, okay, everybody out, you know, like in a room, everybody out, just Peter and me. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. He never, call, you know, it doesn't go back and then, you know, saying, I just called you Peter, but I'm going to call you Simon. Okay. Pope Simon. <laughs> it's like, oh, he doesn't do any of that. 
And so, well, anyway, I, so. I, I wasn't going to ask you this, but I think it's just naturally like because uh, you don't have to comment on this, but I think we're getting into the spirit in the area of, you know, um, of, of, of what's going on right now. Because if, if, if Pope Francis really said, hey, criticize me, like people might say, well, you know, Strickland did. And guess what? He's out. You know what I mean? Or Burke did, and guess what? He's out. Now, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just telling you what people are saying, and I know you already you must know of this or whatever. But so just because we're kind of in that area, do you have any thoughts on on that at all? Because I like I'm I, there's there's a worry about about some schism, and not from people on the left, but on the right. So, and I'm trying to process it all as well. You know, like wait, what, what, what what's true? What's not true? I, you know, I, so I really like where you're going here about, you know, he would have defended the, the vicar of Christ and the play. You wouldn't have belittled him or anything like that, but he may have corrected errors. So in light of what is actually going on today, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think, I think it follows a similar, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use Fulton Sheen as an example when he says, not just the Pope, but every single Christian has a Simon nature and a Peter nature. Now, Peter is the nature that we're given when we're baptized in the life of grace. And um, it never, but our nature is never uh, obliterated. We still have concupiscence. You know, we still have the disorders that exist that are there. And no matter what your state is in life, it doesn't mean that you are immune to those temptations and, and, and your free will also doesn't go away as well. Um, I mean, I always tell people, look, if you can't rest, if you can't come to, to terms with this, then you need to do at least some church history, <laughs> just to put things in a little bit of perspective too, of seeing the weak human natures of popes when they would, you know, dig out, they would exhume a previous pope from the grave who they hated, and then like put them on an altar or not an altar in the in the chair as a skeleton, hold them in, and have a court thing and pronounce and pronounce them like a heretic, and then drag him around Rome. I mean, like, this stuff happened. It's just, like, who could even imagine that? So, but we, we, live in, we live in interesting times where it's so, it's so complicated, the evil, and how, and how evil gets in. But the answer is always simple. And you can tell who's answering well, better than others, by their humility and you have i mean that's that's just coming to like who's doing what and this and that because you know there are certain times people say things and they're right they're dead on right but if they're going to do it to then in a way that hurts the body of christ in a way that it, sh it should not be hurt you know let christ be the sword in the sense of the truth in and of itself is the sword the holy spirit being the sword don't let your attitude and your pride or whatever it is, or you've got to keep up your, you know, 150,000 viewers or whatever it is on your YouTube channel, because they're now all rallying behind you. I mean, just think of that. I think a lot of these people in this day of social integration of the media and, and the digital world make it so that they box themselves in to such a harsh stance that I believe they don't—they haven't left any room for redemption for Pope Francis. I believe one day he's going to see fully what his errors are, and I pray like Saint Peter, who struck literally, literally struck out 
not only did he they try to prevent Jesus from going to the cross and he gets called Satan, then he goes to the Last Supper right after like being in, you know, um, consecrated a bishop and made a priest at the same time. And then Jesus is like, this, you're going to deny you that you even know me tonight. Like, what? And Peter was completely sincere. Like, if anybody does, like, I, I will never do that. You'll, like, before this very night, you'll deny me three times. Not once, not twice. So it's a double strikeout because that's, that's strike two on the bigger scheme. And then what happens is that he then goes out. He does deny him. And then he goes to the garden. And the one thing that Jesus asks of his closest ones is, what, can you watch an hour with me? And he couldn't do that. So when the guards came, what does he do? He doesn't. He didn't pray. This is where Fulton Sheen's genius. He's like, look, they didn't pray. So what is? What do we do when we don't pray? We resort to violence, and that violence doesn't have. It could be physical. That violence can be um, moral, intellectual, verbal, and this is why it's. We have. That's why humility has to ground us. That's why Our, Our Lady. You know, the, we have to imitate her. And it's really hard, especially when you have personalities. I mean, I'm a very animate person, a very passionate person. I'm constantly like, you know, licking my wounds after I've caused something. But uh, can I at least do that? And today, a lot of these people who are attacking the Pope and pointing out things that are uh, that are serious questions and problems do so in a way that then get people to do to cross lines that. I don't think that they should be crossing, you know, doubting whether he's even the Pope. Only the church can come around in some authoritative way and actually decree that he that there was an invalid Pope. You know, it's the only way that can happen. Yeah. So like nobody on the in nobody's gonna. I mean, a great example it was the Avignon Papacy, three popes going on. St. Vincent Ferrer and St. Catherine of Siena each believed that another person was the authentic Pope. St. Catherine ended up being right. <laughs> but he does that like, oh my gosh, but St. Vincent Ferrer, he was a saint. He was, you know, he was humble and, you know, he did what he could, um, but he didn't betray or, you know, I mean, like, so we have to look, so we have he, to rediscover the saints. Okay. So Wait, I, so anyway, I think that that's a big deal. I don't know all the ins and outs of when people, because it's so, I'd have to know the people personally or know someone who is really close to get a better trustworthy description or analysis of where that person's really at, because there's so many people who just say, well, look, you know, Strickland did this, but then he also did this. And sometimes that, I mean, you could easily, you can verify that. But other times like people like, I know, I know people who know him very well on a personal level. And you know, my my conclusion on on that, or at least not conclusion, but is that I I think he's um, I genuinely think he's humble and he's really treating his office of the episcopacy as Fulton Sheen said it was. And many people don't realize he says Sheen said bishops and he, obviously Sheen isn't creating this teaching; he's just verifying it. A bishop is consecrated not just for a diocese but for the whole world. So I say to people, look, as hard as it would be for the bishop of a diocese to lose his diocese, and or the people then to lose if they really love the bishop, in a certain sense, almost like Fulton Sheen, I mean, the worst thing that could happen to somebody is not like, oh, you get removed from this or that. It's 
like being reassigned to Siberia, you know, like a chaplain in who knows where, because then you got to go there right now. Like there, like, like Fulton Sheen, he said he wasn't retiring. He was retreading and he just went out and just gave retreats everywhere. And he focused on priests because he knew that's where the battle was going to be at. And why, and why did he do that? Was he asked to not do particular ministry in New York anymore or? Well, he was, he was, he, he was uh, first exiled from New York when he got the diocese of Rochester. And that was for about three years. That was, that was three years. And, um, and then after that, it was, he was getting near his age of retirement. And, um, you know, he, there's a number of things that he could have been assigned or appointed. And that's when people say, oh, you know, Sheen, you're Bishop Marpaul VI is um, going, you know, he's accepted your resignation, not resignation, retirement. And uh, he's like, yeah, but he's like, I'm not retiring. I'm just retreading. And I think like people who are in these positions, provided you are truly with the church, like you don't trash. And this is the thing. I don't think that they really think that they, they believe that they're not. But I just think the, the style of that language is, is really harsh. Um, and, and not like, oh, we have to be candy coating stuff. No, but it's when it becomes ad hominem in a way that's destructive, like I said, then you also lead certain uh, paths to, um, you know, being unredeemable. Like, let's say Pope Francis has a conversion. These people who are so anti-Francis, like, are they going to accept that? Or are they going to literally have convinced themselves, like, no, 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 it's just part of a scheme of the New World Order that he's, you know, that he was already a part of, which is, I mean, like, all these agendas and stuff that is being promoted. I mean, like, those are real issues. But they're like, no, no, this is just a psyop. He's really not. He's just trying to string in all the others, thinking that he's good. And then he's going to take everybody the wrong direction. It's like, they're, they're creating additional chess games in addition to the other four or five D chess games that are going on. Well, what'd you um, say about Pope Francis and conversion? No, I'm saying if, like, if he does, um, well, these people who are Bergoglio, this, he's not even the Pope. Um, yeah. I mean, um, and all of a sudden he has a conversion, starts doing a lot of things that they would love. What are they going to say then? I mean, what are they going to say about all the other things? They get, they're all silent when he consecrates Russia again couple of years ago yeah and i was like whoa they actually did it and it wasn't too much about that but then you know so it, there are some serious things that we have to fight that he gets um, enlightened about and he also gets rid of his advisors i mean he's got some really bad i mean the infiltration is real and it's strong and it's definitely right there with him um, and around him and he has his own things his own background and um but it's interesting how, like, i always watch how's the holy spirit working and he always slips in something that's pretty powerful and it's usually marion or something on divine mercy or whatever it is that still goes through him to the church and um i just i think that we we, we need to we if or if we're humble Humility does not mean skirting off responsibility to fight. It's not what humility is. It just means you're 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 grounded, and you're not floating up here in the intelligentsia, and and you know, and then you're misleading people. So you can you know, 
I don't know. I think we have to rediscover the saints and look and rediscover Sheen. He's such a perfect example of how to deal with it. Would he be a part of the Senate? I think he would. He might be the most vocal voice, perhaps, in challenging those things. But, but he, he was also so compelling. I guess the thing is, he was such a compelling communicator. And everything that he did, even when he got upset, you just felt like it was like your father, you know? Like, because he, everything comes down to the salvation of souls. Not just this bare tree of truth, which the truth is all, you know, is, is always there. And we have to defend the truth. The truth, the, the truth is also a person, it's Christ. And Christ is present, you know, in all different peoples, different ways. Dr. Howard, I want to I want to respect your time. Uh, you uh, said, "Hey, let's do about thirty minutes," and we're already an hour. I don't even in. know where we're at here. So. We're, we're we're an hour in. I look, I am learning so much. Like I've hardly talked, and this is not a complaint. I know. I'm sorry. Now, I talked so much. No, it's great. I just wish you'd grab some water. Uh, no, I. It was powerful. This was a like I needed this. Me myself, my my own spirit, my own heart. I needed this, so I'm very grateful. I, you know. Um, regardless of, of who hears this and listens. I mean, we're such a popular podcast that right now we have four viewers. But anyway, so, um, but listen. Hey, it only um, took 12. So huh? Yeah, it only took 12. Hey, listen, after I uh, promote it, well, I have at least seven. So anyway, um, no. Listen, uh, and if there's anything that I could ever do for you, because you really, thank you for today. If there's anything I could do for you, just just let me know and I'll, I'll screw it up. So anyway, uh, is the only thing that is holding Sheen back, is there any, like, is it because somebody said when he was Bishop of Rochester, holding him back from canonization, that he might have mishandled some accusations? Is there anything to that at all? Uh, well, there was, um, there were two cases that were already known when Rome investigated him the first time of that there were two priests that before he became bishop, there was questions about what they were doing. So the whole question really came down to, well, when Sheen was there, was there any misconduct in handling these priests? And He asked that. Well, I'm sorry? Sheen asked that himself. Well, Sheen knew of it. He was oh, a And so the church, when they investigated this for his, uh, when he was, well, even when he was venerable, um, <clears throat> They were, it was uh, immediately, it was an easy open and shut case. Like, yeah, he dealt with them perfectly fine. And they moved on. That was it. And then even the Diocese of Peoria went and went like an extra step. And I guess like with any other possible question, they brought in their lawyers, made it and, and beautifully uh, packaged up and obvious, like I said, an open shut case. And brought it to Rome, presented it to Rome. They're like, wow, this is wonderful. Okay, great. Like, move on. You know, like there was nothing there. And now there, and there still was nothing. But we live in a culture where all you have to do is insinuate something. Yeah. Anything, you know, as a priest. I mean, it, it can also happen to a lay person. But anybody just has to insinuate something. I know, yeah. And they can derail an entire priesthood's life. And by the time he's cleared... I mean, I know a priest personally who I worked for that this happened. And just within the last four or five months, 
was finally completely cleared and exonerated and everything was proven to be lost. After lawless. years? After it years? Took, it took years. Yeah, I know. It's disgusting. It's it already dis destroyed yeah. him in many respects. Yeah, and many you don't want to back his parish. You don't want to get me started on that uh, because it's. So, yeah, yeah, so you can just imagine. I mean, just think about this. Sheen is the most easy, he's the easiest case that you could have for any of this. And of course, not even a miracle on top of that. So it's like, if, there, if they in any way tried to or like pretend that they could go in and alter something or something could come in and alter the church's judgment, can you imagine what that would say to the entire process of the church in its judgment on its saints and its pr uh, pronouncements on saints? That'd be like, why don't we reinvestigate St. John Paul II? I mean, goodness gracious, look at all the things that happened under his pontificate. Yeah. The Carrick, yeah. others. I mean, that would go on for the next millennium, you know, yeah. to really. So she's the easiest one. And this is what they're doing to him. And that's why oh, most of what we say when, like, I, when I go public, people ask me, I say, look, it's the emperor has no clothes. And we're here to tell everybody he has no clothes. And that's what they're saying. Well, maybe this scene, we just want to be careful about what you just said. And nothing's going to, even if, even if the secular authorities said like, she's the antichrist, the church doesn't care. I know it's not supposed to. Exactly. When does anything in the state ever tell the church when it should do something? All when the time now. All the time. Well, it is all the time, but that's the point. That's the emperor has no clothes. Like, we need to wait. It's precisely when things are bad, when we need our saints, when the church needs. To, I mean, the church has been called forever to lead, and now this is why the all the legs of the stool are are basically gone, and it's everything's crashing down. Not you know civilly, spiritually, morally. I mean, it's all. And so we're at that transition point, but Fulton Sheen himself predicted 80 years ago, and John Paul II predicted it in the 70s. Here we are. So who's going to help lead us? Who are the General MacArthur's to, to, to give us, as you could say, kind of marching orders? And yet I know one. I know one. Dr. <laughs> Peter Howard. That's one. I know one. Well, I know I you. Seen, I'm just trying to find people to support what we're doing. Otherwise, it's like, you know, you're just Jason like, Jones, who's going to be on your round table tomorrow. He's Jason another. Jones is a, that guy's a man in the arena. Dude. He, I mean, humbles, for real. He, he pretty much humbles everybody just by what he does. It's, it, it's, yeah, he's the you real. You can't deal. criticize somebody like that when you're not, even, you know, if you're not, if you're not in that arena, you know, so I mean, tell us about this. Um, uh, round table that you're having really quick. Yeah, sure. Well, it's tomorrow night. So anybody's watching this live, if anybody gets this beforehand, uh, tomorrow night, December 9th, 8 PM Eastern, 5 PM Pacific. It's a round table discussion and it's in honor of Fulton Sheen's feast day, December 9th. And it's coinciding with the first, uh, visitation of our lady in Guadalupe who brought about the conquest of all the spiritual conquest of all the Americas as all of Western civilization is completely in free fall right now. The question is, how are we going? What is the reconquest of this collapsing civilization going to be? And so I um, 
have a uh, panel, you can say, a group of five people. Jason Jones is one of them. Um, Terry Barber, who is uh, founder of Virgin Most Powerful Radio. He's the one, who, by the way, um, he founded St. Joseph Communications, Lighthouse Media. Wow. One of the biggest Sheen men I know. Everything that we have is Sheen. Most of it, in some way, is uh, connected to him making it possible for, like, 40 years ago. Okay. Um, so he's going to be a part of it. Immaculate Ilabagiza. She's the Rwanda genocide survivor. You probably yeah. have heard of her. Um, we have Father Thomas Loya, who will be with us. Powerhouses. Yeah. Powerhouses. One guy I'm just getting to know a little bit. I was on his podcast, um, Bobby Fredrickson. And he's interesting. I look forward to learning more about him. He and his wife have a, a very popular podcast called the Catholic Couple Podcast. And he's like, uh, the more I sense, I don't know him well, but like, he's like a, a Catholic version. Well, he wouldn't like me to say this, but uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Like an Adam Tate, like a Catholic Adam Tate, but he's not like Adam Tate's just kind of his own world. I have no clue. Who gets, anyway, he's like a huge secular guy who just has very confident. And uh, I don't know if he was a former MMA fighter as well, but anyway, like Bobby's got like his whole past of, of just being a warrior and in many ways, and he translates that into just practical life with his wife and family. Um, and I just thought he'd have some really good insights on, on the section of family. So yeah. we're basically looking at the five kind of major areas that what this, what a, a reconquest would look like, not just talking about it, like, oh yeah, there's going to be one. Like, what can we do? Like Jason's travels the world with the vulnerable, the vulnerable people project. And he's helping to not just give them a voice and just provide for them. He's also working to try to get, you know, countries turned around. So how do we do this as Catholics so that the end result isn't just putting band-aids on perpetual problems, but we as Catholics have the answers. We've always had the answers. And there was a time in history where it worked um, in more than any other length of any other empire has been the history of Christendom. So, which is gone. So anyway, so we have that family life, how to evangelize. Terry Barber will be focusing on that in a way that Sheen saw it. Um, and we have uh, Immaculate talking about, in a special way, the role of our blessed mother in, in turning around impossible situations, as you know, we saw with Rwanda as well. Um, and then uh, Father, Father Loya being a priest from the Byzantine Rite to uh, help us with how do we how do we unite a fractured church and what wisdom can we learn from the East, which is more in the ascendancy than the West? How do we, in the end, put these together in, in rebuilding in a new civilization? So it's a starter conversation. I mean, you only get like 10 minutes, you know, to present each one of those at that point, you're almost at an hour. And then after that, we have a discussion and then I'm going to Where can people find it. Uh, if they're not watching it live, uh, like if, if somebody's listening to this, like next Tuesday, where can people go back and watch this or, or listen to this? Well, I don't have the link for it yet, but, um, check your social media. Do you have a YouTube yeah, channel? We, yeah, we have, we're on Instagram. Okay. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, look up, uh, I think Fulton.sheen.movement. I'm going to put all the links to all your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, Fulton.sheen.movement, Fulton.sheen.institute. You have, uh, of course our website, FultonSheenMovement.com. Yep. Uh, where you'll see the petition that we've had going on for months. I want everybody to sign that. Every every uh, signature matters. Yep. Um, 
and uh, but also you will have information too, and it's still on there right now where people can register because then you get a special link to the event. And then after the event, um, I'm not quite sure how to follow up with all the links and those kinds of things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. the best thing is just to go and register. And you'll probably just get the post things afterward too. Okay. All right, cool. Well, I do know that that there, I do have several people that listen to this on Saturday, uh, usually Saturday mornings. So they will get it by tonight. Yeah. And then, you know, people know how to look, you know, Dr. Peter Howard, Fulton Sheen Institute. I'll put all the links in all the show notes uh, and on my social media posts when I get to do this. I am going to actually celebrate myself uh, mass for the Holy Day of Obligation as soon as we get off the phone. Oh, wow. um, Yep. Uh, so uh, prayers for you, prayers for Thank your you. institute, prayers for the movement. I also, you, you know how you just said your signature matters or your, you know, every signature matter. You should make a t-shirt or something, your signature matters and make it about like the, the, the Fulton Sheen thing. Um, so, uh, you know, your life matters, black life matters, all, you know, blue eyes matter. <laughs> your, your, your signature matters. Uh, no, seriously. And then, but I want royalties. So anyway, um, <laughs> all right, listen, well, Fulton Sheen wrote about like what, like 50 something books. You probably know the exact number. He was on two different television shows, right? One was called the life is worth living. And what was the other one called? Well, was his, that was his primary one really was the life is worth living. Okay. And then in the seventies, he came back and, and after rock trust, when he was basically retired, oh, he, came back, right. he came back to television and for a few years and, uh, it, it it was only a few years. Just it was a few, color okay. Well, that. listen, is there one, if you say, okay, this is a resource, like, hey, I want to get to know Fulton Sheen better. This is a resource I want you all, all you listeners, all you, you know, my the, the 20 million listeners that are listening right now, where, where what should they do? His autobiography, a certain book. Yeah, you have to start. I think you have to start with his autobiography. One, it's a very easy read, and I'm a very slow reader. Um you'll go through it really fast. You'll get to know him. He's at the end of his life. He's looking back at all the things. So you, get, you get the insights into his heart. Um, and then, uh, well, his book on our blessed mother is, is a must have. Um, the world's first love. Mm. Um, my, my book is on Sheen and his Marian teaching. So I go a, a, even a beyond what he talks about in there because I'm using that. But What's your book called? It's called The Woman. The Woman? Mm -hmm. Dude, I didn't know about that. All right, I got to yeah, get The longer title goes on a little bit, but that's like the, you know, Mary, because it focuses on what, how to understand Mary's mediatrics. You understand this mystery, everything, all the other dogmas of our blessed mother come to life and make sense. And more importantly, you, you, you not only understand, but you'll be moved to love her in a way because you'll, you'll see how it, how beautifully God now relates her to us. So it's timely. It's like the crowning of everything on Mary, but it's sheen. And then the whole tradition of the church, because it's really based off of my doctorate work. So I have like, you can geek out on the footnotes, which are pretty awesome. Cause they're like, this saint says this Mary is, you know, the, Mary in the temple and all these kinds of things. Anybody can read it. Non-Catholics have read it and they've, yeah. they've liked it. Cause it's like, yeah, you got to know Mary. And like, yeah, I, I don't really know that. Kind of like Tammy Peterson, you know, Jordan Peterson's wife. And yeah, she's uh, you know, our blessed mother was the is the ticket, she's the Trojan horse. Now she's gonna become Catholic in the spring, God willing. Did you have her on your show? 
Yeah, I just I just it's released it today. I recorded just it released it. So with Jordan Peterson's wife, you have a podcast episode that you just released today. What's the name of your podcast? The Catholic Patriot. All right. I'm I, yeah, I just go to um the channel on YouTube is Fulton. It's at Fulton Sheen Institute. We made it simple, not like this real long link. It's just at Fulton Sheen Institute on YouTube, and you'll see it. It was premiered um, earlier today, and and you can watch. You can see all of our episodes that are on there. I got Jason Jones on there not uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, and I know. And I gotta get you on there too. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm really gonna have a lot to offer after you have Jason on. After you have, uh, you know, is it Shannon Peterson? Am I saying her name? Tammy. Tammy. I wasn't even close. I can't get her name. So, uh, but yeah, we'll yeah we'll talk about how much of a mess I am. That'll be great. So, uh, yeah. Hey, I'll be like, hey, uh, do you need some clowns? Anyway, uh, listen, I'm inspired. Uh, I hope that, um, I'm going to be praying for you. You're doing a, a ma- how do you get all these big people? I mean, well, maybe we'll talk offline. I, I need to not worry about that. My wife it, arranges all of those things. Your wife, your yeah, wife. I know, I know I, Jason, I know, but even then she reaches out to them and all right. What do you think? You think Jordan Peterson will eventually convert to? I think so. All right. We just got to pray that it happens sooner rather than later because, um, there's just, who are really intellectual and those things, there's more ways for the devil to get it to delay yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And and the ramifications of that, the shock waves of, you know, he, of course he's thinking about these things as well. Yeah. He's not, he can't just slip away in the nothingness after doing that or hide it because yeah. his wife is too, you know, but it's, she's gathering momentum and support and, and, you know, so. Like and Rob Paul. Schneider too. Rob Schneider just converted to Catholicism. Did he really? He did. Oh, that's right. You didn't that. know that? No. Yeah, Rob Schneider did. He did this whole post, and then it was like in the news about Tammy Peterson and Rob Schneider converting to Catholicism. Oh, that's cool. I have to look that up. Yeah. So if you get him on before me, though, we're gonna, gonna get be Rob part. Schneider. Gonna get Jason Spade, dude, or David Spade. David Spade. Come on, dude. All right, listen. I'm thinking Jason Jones in my head, and if you yeah. get them David. on. And then who does he know? And then go back to bacon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Be like, hey, I know this priest who's comedian. He's not that good, but he liked me on the show. Uh, (laughs) And let him open for you. So, all right, listen, even though this is live and people, you know, the five people that are watching right now, high five, high five. Thank you. Um, I am going to like, you know, then download this and, you know, write show notes and then I'll re-release it as a podcast and put it on, you know, my YouTube. And I think I don't have a social media person, so I got to do it all. I'm still learning how to do it. But Dr. Peter Howard, thank you so much. God bless you. Prayers. Thanks for your humor. Uh, Very hysterical. Thanks for your time. Uh, Please pray for me. Pray for my priesthood. Pray for my family. Pray for my health. I promise to pray for you and your whole family. And thank you for being back as a guest on A Holy Mess. This was a very powerful episode. Thank you, Father. Anytime. Thank you for joining me for another episode of A Holy Mess Podcast. Please see the show notes in the description for this episode for more details and information about the topic and or the guest. You will find links and resources there to supplement this episode and help you along your messy but holy journey. Please also like, comment, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share all episodes. I want to thank Mike Mangione for providing me with the podcast theme song, Can You Love Me Falling, from his album Red-Winged Blackbird Man. 
Finally, please note that while me, I, whatever the grammar is, Father Paul Hulis, while I am a priest for the Archdiocese of Newark, a holy mess with his holy mess podcast is not affiliated with the Archdiocese of Newark in any way, including fundraising efforts. This podcast is purely the personal hobby, product, and evangelization effort of Father Paul Hulis. Please join us again next time for another holy mess of an episode. Peace!